This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good afternoon, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. On October 16, 1991, Susanna Hupp witnessed the tragic shooting of 23 people at Luby's Cafeteria in Colleen, Texas, among them her parents. Now, ironically, she had decided against carrying a small revolver that could have dramatically changed the day's events. In her purse that day, out of fear for losing her chiropractor's license, if caught possessing a weapon. But you will hear about that straight from Susanna's mouth a little later. In Susanna's book, From Lubies to the Legislature, One Woman's Fight Against Gun Control, she chronicles her evolution from a small town chiropractor into a national icon for the right to armed self-defense. Now, her transformation into a high-profile gun rights activist began when her impassionate calls for the right of citizens to carry guns for self-protection thrusted her into the middle of gun control debates. She, de- she repeatedly, repeatedly testified under oath against the ineffectiveness of gun control laws that, in her opinion, disarm law-abiding citizens, making them potential victims of criminals who did not obey the law. Now, this position on gun legislation paved the way for a decade-long tenure as a member of the Texas House of Representatives, where in addition to championing Second Amendment and privacy rights, she served as a member of the House Role and Veterans and Military Affairs Caucuses, chaired of the House Select Committee on Child Welfare and Foster Care, and chair of the Human Services Committee. But before I introduce my guest today, I'll bring up a story about another self-defense shooting that are, you know, so often overlooked by the mainstream media. A stalker by the name of William Brady, the third, traveled all the way from Georgia to California in pursuit of a woman he was targeting. Now, the woman tried to get a restraining order and had left Georgia now, probably to get away from Brady. She was staying at a relative's home when Brady found her and started toward the home with a gun in his hand. 
Now, of course, the police were called. But when you have 10 seconds to defend yourself, the police aren't much use. And Brady was there to kill. He broke through the door and opened fire on the family. One of the male relatives was able to get his own gun and fired back. But Brady was hit multiple times and fled the scene. Now, no one else was injured, and Brady was taken into custody and will likely be convicted of attempted murder. Now, see, now this is the difference between defending yourself with a gun versus a piece of paper. Restraining orders are only effective for those who obey the law, much like gun-free zones. Now, thankfully, this wasn't a story of a woman whose family was killed by a crazy stalker, and it's only thanks to the relatives who chose to protect his family. Now, one more thing before I bring in our guests. I am mad as hell, and I'm sick and tired of the black and Hispanic community allowing the Democratic Party to use them as political prostitutes. Today, you are sitting in traffic because the Democrats elected a tr- in Travis County ran Uber and Lyft out of town. So you, while you're sitting there in traffic, you're trying to leave the track, you're trying to make it to the concert or make it somewhere else downtown, just remember Uber and Lyft's out of town because of your Democratic elected officials here in Travis County. The traffic from the F1 this week is just atrocious, and it has never been this bad. There are two reasons I will never vote Democrat in Travis County. Number one, traffic. City Council doesn't do anything but make traffic worse by putting bus and bicycle lanes in lanes that previously belonged to taxpaying automobiles. And number two, police accountability. Now, I'm not anti-law enforcement. And as a matter of fact, every time I see an officer, I thank them for their service. But when a police officer clearly breaks the law, I don't know, you know, by shooting an unarmed person, they should be freaking prosecuted. Now, the Democrats that were elected into office in this town refused to do anything positive about traffic or police accountability. So let me just put it out there. If you're black and Hispanic and the police are killing you, why the hell are you voting for the people that have the power to do something about it? You're putting the same idiots into office year after year. You're Travis County D.A., a Democrat. Your Travis County Sheriff, a Democrat, and your city council members, bunch of Democrats. If you continue to do the same thing election cycle after election cycle, you're expecting different results. We call that insanity. So today, I want to introduce you to the Travis County DA candidate that I endorse. And I want to the Travis County Sheriff candidate that I endorse I want to introduce you to them because remember early voting is now beginning. So get off your asses and Facebook and go vote. This is Michael Cargill and you are listening to come and talk it. This is Doug DuBois, Jr., Executive Director of the Texas State Rifle Association. You're listening to Michael Cargill and Come and Talk It Radio. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. 
All right. So I know you're sitting there in traffic. You're trying to make it downtown. You're, or you're trying to make it to the uh, Circuit of the Americas there to listen to the concert that's going to take place tonight. But that's okay. Um, <laughs> someone just sent me a message. I need to remind people that I'm black. Oh, that I'm black and I'm running for a. I'm, I'm black and I'm voting conservative or voting for Republicans. All right, sounds great. <laughs> All right, so I see you out there. All right, so let me bring it to the conversation. Mora Fallon. Phelan. Phelan. Mora Phelan. Man, I always pronounce that name wrong. Mora. Mora Phelan, who is running for Travis County DA. Uh, Mora, welcome to the Come and Talk It show. Thank you. All right, so Mora, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me, how did you get into, uh, uh, to this point today? You, you know, you're an attorney. Where did you go to school? You know, how did you get to decide that, you know, you're going to run for Travis County District Attorney? Well, I um, actually went to Texas A&M University for undergrad. I have a degree in commercial animal science. And then I went to University of Houston Law School. Um, During my time at U of H Law School, I worked for a commercial litigation white-collar crime firm doing uh, white-collar criminal defense work as well as uh, regular business litigation. And then I worked for the Harris County District Attorney's Office as a juvenile prosecutor. After that, I was in Williamson County as an assistant county attorney under Billy Ray Stubblefield for two years. And then I joined the Travis County District Attorney's Office while Ronnie Earl was district attorney. I was there for 12 years. Um, I was in just about every division, uh, including the lottery division, the motor fuels tax fraud. I did um, white color, uh, large scale cases. I also was in child abuse for five years and helped found the child protection team, worked with uh, Rhonda Hurley doing the civil and the criminal side of the um, child abuse cases because the district attorney's office handles not only felonies, but also handles the institution of civil cases in, uh, when there's interventions in families because of abuse or neglect. Um, I also did juvenile while I was there and um, uh, Pretty much everything. When I left, I just couldn't see my way clear to being a defense attorney. So I became a civil litigator uh, doing um, complex litigation, fiduciary litigation, because the while that has a criminal component, most of the time the district attorney's office does not take those cases. Uh, they say that they're also civil cases, and so they should be pursued civilly. Um, although most of the time these are people who have lost their money to the person who's defrauded them, and um, or they're incapacitated in some way, and uh, they don't have any means to pursue it civilly. So I've been taking up those cases as well. Now, so what sets you different from the Democratic elected DA that we have here in Travis County? The elected DA? Correct. <clears throat> well, R- Rosemary Lemberg, who's there now, um, has a DWI conviction. I don't. I don't have any criminal convictions, Um, and I think that it's a problem that we have a prosecutor who is a criminal. Okay, and then what about the candidate that's running for uh, Travis County DA currently? Well, the biggest difference is that Margaret Moore, who's who's the Democratic candidate, hasn't done any criminal law in 30 years. Um, She was an assistant DA from 1979 to 1981 under Ronnie Earle, back when I was in high school. And then she was county attorney from 81 to 85, and since then has done no criminal law. So the law has changed, and that office has changed quite a lot in 30 years. Now, do you think that the DA's office should do some type of training with police departments? Absolutely. Um, That's one of the things that they don't do, which I think they need to do, is communicate better with our police department. Uh, The 
only training that our APD officers get when they're cadets comes from the Williamson County DA's office. Our district attorney's office doesn't participate anymore in the in the training of our officers there. And I think that that's a huge problem. Um, these officers are going to be the witnesses that we work with. They're going to be, uh, we should be working with them on a day-to-day basis. Right now, we're expecting our police officers in the SO and the police department, all the police departments, to also be attorneys to determine the legal sufficiency of the of the arrest warrants for the cases that they arrest people on, of the search warrants that they take. There's very few of them who actually consult with or are able to consult with an assistant DA before they go forward. And in and, and that, you know, there's an entire system. You know, we have your police department. We have your your D.A. in that system. You also in this county, we have a sheriff. Uh, so let me bring into the conversation Joe Martinez, who's running for Travis County Sheriff. Joe, welcome to come and talk it, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the invite. All right. So, Joe, tell me a little bit about yourself and, you know, your your history and how do you get how did you get to the point where you decide to run for Travis County Sheriff? Well, I started my police career in the state of Michigan in 1968 during the um, the, the real tough times of, of revolt and riots and all the other wonderful things that were going on across this country. Um, I'm originally from Austin, born and raised here, grew up on the east side. Uh, saw this Austin grow up into a, from a small community into what it is today. It's amazing how a city that, that you grew up in has changed so much. Um, from I was up in the state of Michigan for about 10 years, five years as a police officer, came back in 1975. And uh, the day that I drove back into Texas, I already had a job with the sheriff's office. I came on as a uniformed officer. Um, working the night shift, 11 to 7. <clears throat> I um, worked for the uh, then-famous sheriff that shot straight, Raymond Frank. Uh, he, was a, he was a Democrat, but, hey, we got to work somewhere. And I worked there for about uh, five years, and then the state attorney generals had just opened up a new Medicaid fraud unit for provider fraud. And I applied, and, and I got a job. Uh, went to work. Due to the fact that I'm bilingual, I'm the only bilingual uh, candidate here in this race from Austin, and the only one that's bilingual. Martinez is strictly bilingual. I mean, I didn't marry into the name. The name I was born with this name. So um, went with the state attorney general's office for the next 10 years. Shortly after that, I, um, I went to work for the district attorney's office also. Um, I was there back in 1989 and spent the last uh, seven, the next 17 and a half years inside the DA's office. Uh, as an investigator, went around through all of the divisions. Uh, one of the divisions that was very interesting, very uh, satisfying, was the street gangs. I did street gangs for five years, actually working with the street gangs uh, back in the day, in the heyday. Um, Retired in nineteen era in two thousand three, and currently as a private investigator, we do a lot of uh, court appointed cases. We do case court appointed cases in Travis, Bastrop, Williamson, Hayes, and Caldwell counties. These are these are cases that are appointed by the court for for the indigent that don't have number one the funds to hire an attorney. Number two, don't have the attorney then gets an investigator appointed to assist her in the investigation. Uh, due to the fact that I'm bilingual and from Austin. 
Um, I have a number of cases that I've worked with, uh, very, very, um, various cases, uh, and a, really a satisfying thing because you're still helping people, and that's what it's all about. The reason I'm running for sheriff is because I saw the the candidate, um, the candidate of Precinct Three, Sally Hernandez, was uh, was uh, telling everybody back in God before the election, before the, uh, the election even started, that she was running for re-election as constable. But the uh, the word was that she was running for sheriff. Knowing Ms. Hernandez, she and I worked together. I was there before she even got to the DA's office. And she touts the fact that she has got 21 years of experience inside the DA's office as a chief investigator. Having worked there, I knew how this chief investigator position uh, worked out. Somebody gets appointed, and that's just that's just a pay raise. They do not. They do not. They do not. Support or uh, supervise anybody. They're supervised. The investigators are assigned, are assigned and, and supervised by the attorneys that they work with in each, in each one of the trial divisions. So, and, and the other thing that really, really bothers me about Austin is the fact that she's wanting to make Austin the sanctuary city. Sanctuary city, it, I don't know. I've seen this town grow into a lot of things, but sanctuary city is not going to be if I'm elected to office. That's yeah, that, one of the that's, first. That's the one thing that really boils me over: uh, the fact that you know they want to make the city of Austin this this area where you know you have currently right now the outgoing Travis County Sheriff. Um, I actually I actually like him, you know, and his thing is: look, if you actually get arrested and you are here in this country illegally, we're going to turn you over, you know, to the federal authorities uh, and, and let them, you know, deal with you because you're here illegally. They're gonna, they, they have a job to do. And the, the ice holes that are, they're issued, are issued by a federal judge, when the officers come through and they identify the people that are here illegally and have been charged with a crime, it's their duty and their job to go ahead and put a hold on somebody. It's their job, not my job. My job is to hold them in jail until somebody comes by and picks them up, and then they move them on to federal custody. And that's all. The, the sheriff has never deported anybody. The sheriff has never broken up any families. The sheriff is just doing his job. And I admired Sheriff Hamilton for what he's done. He's done a great job. Do you know that Travis County has deported more illegal aliens than anywhere in the United States? And I will continue to do that job. Yeah, and and they've they've run him off, you know. So that's why I'm I'm supporting you now, Joe Martinez, because you're. I I think that you will continue to make sure that we allow ICE in, you know, to put a detainer on those individuals and turn them over to the federal authorities. We're talking about people who have been, um, you know, uh, charged or convicted with multiple crimes, you know, multiple DWIs. And they're saying, you know, Sally, who <laughs> the uh, Democratic candidate, wants to come in and say, well, we're going to allow them, you know, to we're going to protect them a little bit. And we're not going to turn them over to ICE after they've been convicted of multiple crimes. Well, it's it's the duty of the sheriff to, to obey the law and enforce the law. It's not the duty of the sheriff to interpret the law. He's not a judge. What he does is what he it, it's his job. He's sworn to take an oath when he when he when he makes when he gets elected to office. He takes the oath to protect the, protect the Constitution of the United States and, the, and all the laws of the state of Texas. It didn't say anywhere in there that he she can pick and choose whichever one she wants. <clears throat> That's what I intend to do: enforce all the laws of the state of Texas in the Travis County. Make sure that our citizens' number one priority here is the citizens of Travis County. They're the ones that need protection. They're the ones that were born here. They're the ones that live here. They're the ones that work here and pay your taxes. And that's why I'm supporting Joe Martinez for Travis County Sheriff. So let me go back to uh, Mora, Mora, um, who's running for Travis County DA. So uh, you've been uh, an attorney for quite a while. 
Okay. Um, you saying I'm old? No. <laughs> no, ma'am. Not at all. No. <laughs> Just thought I'd point that out no. since you had to say that you were black. You know? <laughs> there you go. That's right. we got to make things clear. It is radio, after all. <laughs> got to get me back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the DA's office need to needs to actively care about the community. The, the DA's office needs to get back to you know taking care of our citizens and, and prosecuting people that need to be prosecuted, prosecuted. You know, as well as you know, uh, people that are tasked to protect us as c- citizens. You know, so what are your thoughts about how the DA's office is actually handling you know different situations with? Um, uh, law enforcement here in, in Travis County? Well, with law enforcement, as with everything they've done at the DA's office, there's no consistency. Um, there's also no communication, and there's no education. Um, our district attorney's office has become an island unto itself. Uh, doesn't want to communicate with anybody about what they do, why they do it. Um, you very rarely, if ever, um, see them make any statements. All you do is see the what gets issued by the DA's office. Um the they don't answer questions and they don't have any connections to the police department or the community at all um one of the reasons that i left the da's office and one of the reasons that i'm running for district attorney is that our district attorney's office doesn't have any standards um they don't have any set standards at all for recommendations for plea bargains in any cases they don't even do orientation of assistant da's when they come on board to tell them how the people of Travis County want these sentences to be applied, how they, what kind of punishments are appropriate here in Travis County, what offenses are most important to the people of Travis County. None of that is accounted for. Um, and because of that, they're able to do anything they damn well please. Um, they also, that's why we have such a huge disparity in, in the sentences that people get for the same offense with the same backgrounds. It just depends on um, who they know and, and who they are. And that that's not right. Uh, the district attorney's office is issued to see that justice is done, is issued to follow all of the laws. And in order to do that, you have to have some consistency, some transparency, and some accountability. And the one thing that's been lacking from the DA's office completely is accountability. And so even with our officers, different cases are treated differently. Um, and I have a I have a real problem with that. I think that because the officers are serving as our witnesses, they are putting together the cases that are prosecuted by the DA's office, that as attorneys, you have to file a code of ethics, and you're sworn to to follow that as part of your bar, um, your bar license. And in order to abide by the code of ethics, you have to avoid even the appearance of impropriety by our district attorney's office also investigating those officers that they've utilized as investigators and witnesses. I believe that they are violating that code of ethics, that they are not avoiding the appearance of impropriety. There's absolutely an appearance of impropriety when they are the ones investigating the same officers that they're using as witnesses and investigators. I've actually got a question for you, uh, Mr. Martinez, was yeah, it? That's correct. Um, are you familiar with what constitutional carry is? Yes. And since we're on a gun show, I figured I had to ask you a couple gun questions here. Go ahead. Um, did you know we're pushing for it here in the state of Texas? 
You're pushing for the gun uh, constitutional? constitutional carry. And and the way I understand constitutional carry is it's that if you're legally allowed to possess the firearm, you should be able to carry it openly or concealed without a license. That's the definition or definition of constitutional carry. My question is, do you support it or you do not? Do you not support it? I support all gun laws as long as the, the key word here is gun law. I guess this really wouldn't be a law. I mean, the, the law is whether or not you're legally allowed to possess it. And there's already laws in the books that if you're a gang member, you can't have a gun. We already know murder's illegal. We already know rape's illegal. So adding a gun to all of this is just one more thing that, in my opinion, keeps law-abiding citizens from being able to carry. As long as you're lawfully allowed to carry a weapon. I don't have a problem with that. I will never have a problem with that. And the okay. fact of the matter is when, these, when, when a person is open carry, he's walking down the street. The officer will not, under any circumstances, unless he's got probable cause to believe that something has occurred, that will ask that man for his license. Because that's just like asking anybody else for his papers. Well, or anybody who's driving, whether or not they've got a driver's license without, without breaking a law. That's but correct. according to the way the law is written now, uh, officers can actually inquire to whether or not they have a license without them breaking a law. That needs to be that needs to be kind of tweaked up a little bit. Let's let's work on that. Let's work on make 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 which, that. Which even. leads me to my next question because it was a lot of law enforcement that came to the Capitol and actually overturned and added that amendment to the open carry law. So I just wanted to make sure we're not going to see you down there at the Capitol testifying against our rights come you're, next legislative session, right? You're not going to see me at the Capitol <laughs> testifying against any gun law. You'll okay. testify for the gun law because people in Texas, people in the United States, as long as they're lawful citizens, have the right to bear arms. Absolutely. And, and that's guaranteed. As long as you're an American citizen, that's guaranteed to you. Yep. So we should be able to carry. I don't know if you remember the old days in Texas where you had a, you had a hunting I'm rifle. I'm pretty sure my old days are probably different than your old days. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> what are you saying? I'm, I'm old? Not, no, I'm not trying to, yeah, not, not to be rude. Wait a minute. His old days was last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were able to carry a, a rifle in the back of a pickup. No problem. Oh, I, re- I remember that for sure. You know? I, remember, I remember, you know, it was, you know, when I was growing up, it was, it was the same thing. My grandparents and my, my father, we used to have our rifles in the back, you know, right, right in the back window. And now it's like, pff, you'd get I mean, the cops called on you if you, if you right. did that. Or you'd get pulled over going on the road, you know. Well, there's no need for that unless you violated the law. Now, <clears throat> with as many years as I've had in law enforcement, I've never seen somebody with a, with a felony record run around carrying a gun that's, in the open. That, that's the key. Okay. They're not going to. All right. And so we're talking with um, Mora Felon. We're also talking with Joe Martinez. Mora is running for Travis County D.A. And Joe Martinez is running for Travis County Sheriff. Get out there and support your Republican candidates. Uh, Get out there and vote. Tomorrow starts early voting. So go vote. Get off Facebook. This is Michael Cargill. And you are listening to Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. We're talking all things firearms. Now, here's Michael Cargill. Now it's time for GGN, Global Gun News. Global Gun News, sponsored by Central Texas Gunworks, the largest online gun store in Texas. In the news, two Floridian gun shop owners crippled over a cane gun. Are Florida's gun laws too strict? Two Floridian men are being incarcerated for over two years following charges of possessing an unregistered firearm. Jarvis Osario and Thomas Willie have pled guilty to the crime after the ATF raided their gun shop. Outbreak Ordinance. 
Now, they also face a fine of $500,000 and will be forced to surrender their federal firearms license. The pair were given the option of plea deal, and in the process, 30 other charges were dropped, including transferring guns to prohibited persons and making false statements in the sale of firearms. Osario's fiance, of course, claims many of the accusations are completely baseless and that law enforcement raided their home without a warrant. The centerpiece of the case is an unregistered walking cane with a built-in 38 firearm. Now remember, the pictures you take and post on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter can get you charged with a felony. That cane gun is what we call an AOW. You will need a tax stamp from the ATF for that. California selling millions. California, a well-known anti-gun state in the eyes of the American public, but are the people of this state really as anti-gun as we're led to believe? Citizens of the state of California have been going through a gun-buying surge in the past several years. According to the Attorney General's office in California, gun transactions of all kinds have more than doubled in the past several years. Moving from a pretty small uh, annual purchase of 370000 in 2007 to 950000 in 2013. It's no mystery while the sales of guns shoot up just before liberal politicians take control or attempt to enforce more gun laws. Now, as this effect has reached even the more anti-gun states, the predicted total sales of guns by the end of 2016 is over 1 million. The same day that Governor Jerry Brown signed off on the gun apocalypse bills earlier this year, California citizens bought almost 6,000 firearms, which was in fact the most guns sold in one day for that year. Adam Winkler, professor of UCLA Law School, believes that the expansion in gun sales is absolutely due to an anti-gun legislation and that it will only grow more. Florida goes faster. More and more states are going for campus carry. As we've detailed before, multiple states this year have elected to allow campus carry in college spaces. Now, this time around, Florida residents seem to be in favor of the ideal of campus carry. In a sense, faster is a program that educates teachers and staff members on emergency medicine as well as proper firearm usage in the event of an emergency. We're now simply applying that in our schools, but to make it safer, we're adding additional training to your school staff so that they can better understand active killers and more accurately and appropriately respond to and stop that threat. Stop that killer as quick as we can. A survey conducted by the University of Southern Florida showed a majority support for trained teachers and staff carrying firearms onto public school property. Now, 56% to be exact, with 35% of that stating they strongly favor the idea. Now, the survey asked 1,248 people with a random selection of residents age 18 and up and was weighed with underrepresented demographics in mind. 
Now, the pro-verse anti fell heavily on divides of race, gender, education, and age lines. Mostly, it was the elderly, lower-income African-American and lower levels of traditional education that stated they opposed it. But the president of Buckeye Firearms, Jim Irvine, believes this will improve. He and the program director of FASTER addressed a board of education earlier last year. Irvine stated in his past experience in Ohio showed him that education really did change the minds of many who initially opposed. And hopefully Florida will react in a similar way. Packing at polling places. This election year, due to it being the most divisive of candidates we've ever seen, tensions are obviously high and some are concerned about the presence of electioneering or voter intimidation at polling places. In many states, such as Colorado, New Hampshire, and Pennsylvania, there is no law restricting citizens carrying firearms into polling places if they aren't in otherwise restricted zones. And in some cases, polling executives are receiving training at these facilities in the event of a mass shooter. On the other side of that reaction, we have Prince William County, Virginia, where the electoral board secretary pitched the notion of a one-day ban on carrying into polling places. But another legislator from the county was quick to remind him and the board about their lack of authority to implement such a ban. Even if they did, remind me what the point would be of having a right to bear arms if we just implemented a ban on guns anytime there was some divisiveness. And just as a reminder, Texas does indeed have laws prohibiting carrying a firearm into polling places. Early voting has begun. So go vote, but leave your gun in your car. And that is your Global Gun News Report for this week of October 23rd, 2016. October the 16th, 1991, just a little over 25 years ago, just this past Sunday was exactly 25 years, there was an incident at the Luby's restaurant in Colleen, Texas. And because of this particular incident, we actually have our concealed handgun license program it would actually started here in the state of Texas and let me bring to the show Susanna Hupp the mother of what I consider the mother of the concealed carry movement for the state of Texas Susanna welcome to come and talk it how are you doing today I'm doing great but you give me way too much credit no, ma'am. I, I do get credit for it a lot, but, but the truth of the matter is that there were a lot of people involved in making this come to fruition. Um, then Senator Jerry Patterson, who later became our land commissioner, uh, he's retired now. Uh, he, he played a, a much bigger role in it. I was, I was but a pawn. Uh, Ms. Hupp, for those that don't know, what I would like for you to do is could you please tell my listeners what actually happened on October 16, 1991, exactly 25 years ago this past Sunday? Uh, well, the, the short version is that I was uh, at a local cafeteria with my, with my parents. We had just gone there for lunch. It was Boss's Day. Uh, it was the day after payday as well, and the place was packed. In fact, we weren't able to sit in our usual spot. And um, 
we went to have lunch there with my a friend of mine that was uh, actually the manager of Lucy's that day. And as my friend got up to go check on things in the kitchen, somebody drove their truck through the floor-to-ceiling window uh, not too far from us, about 15 feet away. And, of course, you know, the one thing that your listeners have to understand is that back in, in 95, these mass shootings weren't happening back then. So when the truck came crashing through the window, everybody thought it was an accident. I mean, he knocked over a number of tables, injured several people. Um, but then he started shooting. And so, again, you're looking for some other explanation. Uh, you're thinking it's a robbery, it's a hit. You know, I thought maybe somebody important was in there. You're not expecting somebody to just walk around and execute people. Um, now that it's happening more frequently, I think people do think in those terms. But at the time, it took a, it took a good 45 seconds, which uh, I can tell you is an eternity figure out that that's exactly what he was doing, was executing people. So long story short, I got out. Um, my parents were killed. Um, 23 people were killed that day. Uh, at, that, at that time in the state of Texas, we weren't allowed to carry weapons. And my gun was dutifully left in my car 100 yards away, completely useless to me, as were other patrons in the uh, restaurant that had their guns out in their cars. Um, when my dad saw what he thought was a chance, he ran at the, the gunman to try to stop him. Uh, my dad was World War II era, and that's just what those guys did. Um, my mom wouldn't leave my mortally wounded dad, and uh, they had just had their 47th wedding anniversary, and she just, she wouldn't, she wouldn't leave in the restaurant. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. I I was angry, and it may sound a little odd to some of your listeners that have never heard the story, but I was angry at, my, and you can go back and check the quotes, I was angry at my legislators because I honestly felt like they had legislated me out of the right to protect myself and my family. Um, I, you know, obviously the guy that did it, uh, we're not talking about a career criminal. We're talking about somebody who went nuts. And to me, that's like being mad at a rabid dog. You you can't be mad at a rabid dog. They're nuts. They're crazy. You know, you take it out behind the barn and you kill it. But I wasn't mad at him. So um, that, that was pretty much it. It sparked a, a real anger in me. And I wanted to see things change. And so from that, you decided to run for office to make those changes actually happen. Well, I, and again, I get credit for that a lot, but, but truthfully, and I, I've got to tell the truth on this so that credit, you know, credit is given where it's due. Um, Senator Patterson at the time was trying to uh, pass concealed carry. And um, I, I went and testified for him and the Democrat governor at that time vetoed the bill that he eventually passed. Um, I testified again for him in 95. Actually, the event happened in 91. I'm sorry I misspoke earlier. I testified for him again in 95, and they passed the bill. I actually didn't come into the legislature until that next year. So, you know, I would like to think I, I played a role in passing the bill, but but I was actually not in the legislature at the time. 
No, you were. You may not have been. Right. You may not have been in the legislature, but you actually did, you know, actively testify and let everyone hear your story. Senator Patterson and others felt strongly that it was it was my testimony. And and I'm not I'm not um, not trying to puff myself up here. I I think it was just the story. It wasn't me. It was just the story. Uh, They felt like that was the turning point in making that bill uh, uh, get passed through both the House and the Senate. Right, so. because before that, uh, I guess um, Ann Richardson uh, was Ann Richardson was actually the governor of Texas, and she yes. actually vetoed the bill. She vetoed it, and actually, I mean, you can you can look at this and you can extrapolate, but it, I, I fully believe, and if you go back and, and check the records, I fully believe that it was this issue that put Governor Bush into office. Uh, he made it very clear that if we pass the bill again, that he would sign it into law. And gun owners and Second Amendment rights people came out in droves to vote for Governor Bush. And, of course, he ended up being in office. And, and uh, again, you can extrapolate and say, you know, if he had never become governor of Texas, would he have ever become president? Yeah. And and that actually that that changed a lot. It changed a lot in Texas politics and it also changed a lot in American politics, for sure. Well, now, I'm hoping that a lot of your listeners heard. And look, I'm not a, I, I don't I'm sure you don't want to talk too much about Trump and, and Clinton. But um, I listened to that uh, debate. Uh, or I listened to that debate earlier in the week and um Clinton made, to me, it's crystal clear that she is not a believer in in our Second Amendment. She is not a a believer, a firm believer in our Constitution. And even if you think Trump is wishy-washy on other things, I mean, that Second Amendment, I'm not not suggesting that you become a one-issue voter, but that one issue tells you where somebody, where they believe you stand on the hierarchy of things whether you are somebody to be lorded over and taken care of and babied and nannied, or whether or not you are a free individual, part of that we the people that we hear about. It really tells you a lot about the candidate. And also, who's going who's gonna to be that next president who actually appoints the next Supreme Court justices? Absolutely. And that's going to be one of the I mean, most you know, important things. That Keller decision that they talked about, that was won by one person, one vote. In the Supreme Court. I mean, that, that scares the bejeepers out of me, frankly. It should have been unanimous in our favor, but it wasn't. That's right. Now, let me ask you this, uh, because my parents actually, about a little over 30 days ago, were actually victims of a home invasion themselves. And my oh parents my actually had to use deadly force to stop individuals oh climbing into the second floor of their home. So... With that, there's a lot that comes into play when it comes to using force and deadly force. Even though you did not have to use deadly force, but you were in a situation where it was so traumatic. Do you think what do you what do you think about survivor's guilt? Do you ever feel that at all? Uh, Sure. Yeah. Um, You know, not so much anymore. But but absolutely. You know, those first couple of days, um, I, I can't tell you how much time I spent thinking that if I had gone ahead to back up just a little bit, sure. for years I carried my gun in my purse illegally. 
And it was actually an assistant DA in Harris County, which is Houston, if your listeners don't know that. He was a patient of mine when I was in Houston. And he talked me into carrying illegally. And so I did for years. And it was just a few months before this event at Luby's that I started taking my gun out of my purse and usually leaving it in my car. Because like most average people, you know, you think, eh, what are the odds? You know, nothing's going to happen to me. If something happens to me, it might be on a back road somewhere if I run out of gas or get a flat tire. But it's not going to be in the middle of the day in a, a crowded restaurant. It's just not what we're, we're trained to believe. So, um, you know, I, I was angry at myself, very much so, well, for a couple of things. Number one, for, for obeying a stupid law that allowed a lot of people to get killed, including my parents. And I was angry at myself for not trying a little bit harder and making sure that my mother followed me out. Mm. See, I reached around and I grabbed her by the shirt collar and I pulled her up. I said, come on, come on, we've got to get out of here. But but it didn't occur to me that she was not going to follow me out. Mm. So mm. in retrospect, yeah, sure. Sure, there's survivor's guilt. You bet. And as a person that has lived through such a traumatic event, did that change the way you sat in restaurants or in public altogether? After oh, that good incident? grief, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I actually I actually work with a lot of veterans now, and um, it's kind of funny because I, I'm very tuned in to veterans with PTSD. Uh, if I sit down to have coffee with one at a restaurant or in a cafe, I know that they want to sit with their back to the to the uh, wall or to the corner, and I allow that to happen as long as I know that they're armed. <laughs> um, yeah, I, look, I'm, I'm not paranoid. Um, I, I, if I'm if I'm with a group of people and for some reason I can't sit where I can see the door or see the exits, you know I, I deal with it. It's not it's not like I walk out and leave the leave the party. But if given a choice, yeah, I want to I want to have I, I always make a note of where the exits are. Always. Um, I try to teach my my boys. You know, you go to, go into a theater, make a note of where the exits are. Know where those things are. Close your eyes. Where are the exits? You know? Um, I notice people when they walk in. Uh, not everybody. And it's not a, a super conscious thing. But if, if some single male walks in and for, for whatever reason I am not happy with the way they look, yeah, I, I can't help but pay attention to them. You know, I might make sure that my, my purse is a little closer to me. But that's to me that's that's just healthy stuff. That's not paranoia. That to me is like having your smoke alarm working. Ladies and gentlemen, we're actually having an awesome conversation with Susanna Hupp. And Susanna Hupp is what I consider uh, the mother of the Texas Concealed Handgun License Program. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is State Representative Jonathan Stickland, and you are listening to Come and Talk It on Talk 1370. 
Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back. Uh, before we get back to Susanna Hupp, I do want to ask a couple questions of my in-studio guests here. Uh, and we do have Joe Martinez, who's running for Travis County uh, Sheriff. And we also have Maura Fellon, who's running for Travis County DA. And inside the studio, Montana had a question. Go ahead, All right, Montana. cool. I know there's a, new, a bunch of new guys out there. I'm still kind of new to the whole politics thing. Um, I want to take things from a modern perspective from Ms. Mora and Mr. Joe. Um, what's the modern-day sheriff and what's the moderate, I mean, modern-day district attorney? Kind of what's the definition of that and kind of what does that look like today and y'all's roles and everything and stuff? The sheriff in, the, in each county, and especially Travis County, is an elected official. Nobody is higher than the sheriff. He is the main lawman in this county. Uh, the chief of police is appointed by the city manager or by the city council. They're controlled by that. Um, there's uh, Bee Caves, Travis, or Austin, uh, Lakeway, Rollinwood. All of these people have police chiefs, but they're controlled. They're, 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 a loyalty is to the city, but the loyalty of the sheriff is to the voter. In today's world, you've got a high-tech world. Uh, nobody seems to want to talk to anybody anymore. They all—they're all looking into their little uh, iPads and their iPhones and their i6 phones and, I, and I've got the best phone and I've got the rest. But it's the same thing. The law is the law. Once you uh, bec- become the sheriff, you've got to get familiar with with new technology that's out there for us. Um, so that's that's what it is. Basically, nobody's higher than the sheriff. So. Mm-hmm. And then more? As um, district attorney, it depends on which county you're in as to what exactly the DA's office does. This is why so many people are confused by what exactly DAs do. Uh, in Travis County, our district attorney handles all the felonies, all of the juvenile offenses, whether misdemeanor or felony, um, the civil cases that are the intervention in, in uh, because of abuse or neglect in, in families, and then also the mental health uh, mm. docket. When persons are arrested and um, believed to have a mental health issue that makes them incompetent to be able to answer to criminal cases or criminal charges, um, it's the DA's office that takes it to a judge uh, for a determination as to whether or not they need to be moved over to the mental health docket um, and then decides whether or not there's a criminal case to proceed on. So the DA's office here in Travis County does all of those things. Not that they're doing it well. Yeah, I see. Okay. I had another question for you, Mr. Martinez. Yes, sir. Um, so what is your relationship, say you do get elected, what would your relationship be with uh, police departments? The relationship, of course, you want to have a great relationship where people are always on the same same page. Um, you don't want to be uh, coming out to, to um, strong arm some of these chiefs because they, you know, they might get a little offended. Uh, you want to you want to make more friends and enemies in this in this business because you you know that's just the way it works. You want to have everybody. You want to go out and meet everybody personally. That's just a, that's just who I am. I want to go out and meet every one of these chief of police, and maybe even have a quarterly meeting with these folks to see what's going on in their community, what their what their pros and cons are, what their what is going on in your community that I need to know about because you you live in in my county, and you work in my county. So let's let's just be realistic. I am the, the I am the elected official. I am the sheriff. I am the I can't get any higher. Now let's go back to the first question that we had. The sheriff's role is is the elected official. In Travis County, we have precincts. We have five precincts. Each one of these precincts has a constable. The constable handles all misdemeanor. 
uh, issues. I've seen and I've heard from from different folks in some of the forums that I've been at that the constables are expanding their their purview of law enforcement. They want to go out and write tickets. They want to go out and and uh, uh, do raids and they want to do uh, speed traps and you know, as a member of the public, I can tell you I don't want that. Well, I understand that. And, you know, Especially that one that's up there in Precinct 2. Because uh, let me tell you, that one that's up there in Precinct 2 at Don Ballesteros, you know, he was actually fired from DPS uh, for allowing um, you know thousands of pounds of uh, cocaine to cross over to the U.S., but that's another story. Now, doesn't the constable answer directly to sheriffs, though? No, he answers to the, to the voters in that precinct. He's not elected countywide. He's elected in that precinct. Gotcha. So whatever happens in that precinct, uh, um, what hot checks, um, truancy, evictions, all misdemeanors. I was under the assumption that the sheriff was in charge of what duties they perform, though. You know what I'm saying? And, and reins them in when they're getting out of control. I mean, because from what you're saying, it sounds to me like they do whatever, kind of whatever they want, as long as the the voters don't say anything about it. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, but the sheriff will be the one that, con- that controls the uh, the rural policing, uh, the lake policing, everything. Anything that occurs out in the rural area outside of any uh, city limits of any incorporated city, that's what they take care of. Uh, you know, people go out into the county and do a bunch of various things. And this is what we can. This is what we can handle. And you may have a conversation with that constable if t- if there's too much stuff going on. Just kind of reel it back a little bit. Let the sheriff do his job. Well, let's let's say we're having an issue. Friendships aside, with a, a police department, how can a sheriff help us uh, gain a little accountability when it comes to police departments? Because there's barriers in place to keep us from holding police departments accountable. There's the city managers, which you know are typically appointed. Some places they're elected, but they're typically appointed. Uh, and it doesn't seem like city councils even really have that much reign in on on police departments. You know what I'm saying? So yes. how could a sheriff specifically? <clears throat> Help us out if we're if if we're having issues with the, with the police department. Well, you know, one of the biggest things is to take it out into the public, uh, air this thing out. Public uh, television stations love to run these things, and that's where I would start. And next next one would be your your district uh, councilman that represents you in that district. They're all divided into districts now, and put a lot of pressure on him. Bring more people in with you. More than one person, show show a force of uh, strength. A force and be demanding uh, because these people are, are elected into office. And you know what? The next time you go to the ballot box, by God, he may not be there. Now, what do you think about all of the federal goodies that a lot of police departments have been signing up for, like MRAPs? And I know that DPS personally has three uh, Bradley M2 tanks with uh, missile turrets on them. Uh, do you think that's something that the, the, the modern day police officer needs in their bag of goodies? You know, I really have a problem with that because we're not a militarized police department. People need to go back to the basics. Law enforcement, serve and protect the citizens that you that are, they pay your salary. That's where, that's where your loyalty is. Uh, yes, I understand that people love to ride in Bradley tanks. I understand they like to shoot thirty caliber machine guns, and that's wonderful, but not on, not on my well, watch. Well, I mean, if, if a private citizen can afford to buy one, I see no issue with that, but th- this, is, this is my taxpayer dollar's Going to going or getting spent on stuff like this. You know, there's a lot of surplus material out there, but like I said, we need to reel this thing back a little bit. And that just shows me that the federal government might be purchasing too many of them. Well, um, I won't get into the, <laughs> I won't get into the federal stuff. But what I'm telling you is that sometimes they overuse this equipment. Um, I've seen it. I've seen, I've heard of cases where they they'll knock down a fence and uh, accidentally knock down a fence and accidentally run into somebody's car because they can't operate these things. They're not that fluent fluid with these things. These things are 
big machines. You just can't stop on a dime or turn on a dime. I don't know if you've ever been inside of a Bradley or, or an M1 tank. I, I can't afford one yet, but I hope, I hope to. <laughs> Soon enough. I understand. But that's that's we need to be more common sense about this thing. Okay, yeah, okay. that's, that's good. That's good. All right, that's good. All right. Okay, and we're back talking with Susanna Hupp. Um, Susanna has an awesome book out. It's a book called From Lubies to the Legislature, uh, One Woman's Fight Against Gun Control. So, Susanna, let me ask you this. What are your thoughts about UT students using dildos as a way to poke fun at campus carry? (laughs) You know, um, they're kids. (laughs) <laughs> their little brains are still mush. I've, I've got two boys that are in college right now, and and they're very moldable still. All I can say is some of those people, I can't change their minds. But some of them I can. And, in fact, honestly, that's why I wrote that book. I wrote that book for for your wife or your girlfriend, or your daughter, somebody who's who's a little squishy about guns. They, they don't like things that make loud noises, and they certainly don't like the idea of blasting Bambi. I get it. I'm not a hunter. I get it. So I wrote this for them, and I, I tried to put them in that situation that I was in. Imagine being in that situation, and even if you don't want to carry a gun, as that madman is lowering his weapon onto your four-year-old's forehead, even if you've chosen not to have a gun, don't you hope the guy behind you has one and knows how to use it? And most of those people, when it comes to you, they may not, they may not have the gumption to protect themselves, but when you start talking about their little sister or their daughter or their grandchild, that strikes a different chord. So, um, and, and again, since I'm not a hunter, I, I think it, I think they see that I'm coming from a different place. Um, so I wrote it, I, it's a super, super simple, quick, easy read. It's not loaded with graphs. It's not loaded with statistics. It's written in conversation form. And it's, you know, written for somebody to be able to, read it on an airplane going to, you know, flying up to New York or something. So it's a great, I sound like I'm really talking it now, but it's a great Christmas gift. Honestly, it's a great Christmas gift for those young people that, you know, those, those 14 and up kids, college kids, perfect. <laughs> I really regret that my kids can't carry on campus. Mm. Yeah. It, it, it's it's funny because whenever I make a decision in my life for the last 15 years, I've actually turned toward your story. Um, I've thought about the, the videos and I've watched you testifying before different legislatures. And I watched those videos and it actually have guided me into doing the things that I do. Because um, I'm always in the spotlight, always on the news when they're talking about anything about guns and your story reminds me of of what I need to do and what I need to focus on. So I, I definitely recommend this book uh, to anyone that's in the Second Amendment community. You know, you're, maybe you're on the fence about the Second Amendment. Uh, you definitely need to read from Lubies to the legislature. Uh, One woman's it's fight not, against gun control. And I know that's an obnoxiously long title. It's not my fault. It's my 
my uh, uh, publisher's fault. So. <laughs> No, not no, not at all. Now, I do want to ask you one other thing. Uh, what are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, the UT coach, uh, Coach Charlie Strong, uh, actually is banning his players from actually owning guns. What are your thoughts about that? Oh, my goodness, from actually owning them? That's correct. What are my thoughts about that? I, I'm not sure I can say it on the air. <laughs> I... I I mean, I I would love for one of those young men to stand up and say, uh, excuse me, sir, sir, raising their hand, sir, uh, coach, what other uh, of my rights are you going to ban? Mm. Is it it okay for me to worship this Sunday? Mm. I'm I'm sorry, sir, I'm, I'm black. Is it okay for me to vote, or is that one of those other list of bill of rights that I that you don't want me to be able to do. Mm. One of those amendments that, you know, uh, I, of course, of course, the problem is, you know, look, like I said, I've got two young college students. I, I get it. I mean, they're not going to stand up against their coach. They're not going to do that. And it's wrong. What's right. that coach's name? It's uh, Coach Charlie Strong. Okay, Sorry. Mm-hmm. I know. As soon as you said that, I thought, ooh, I was supposed to know that, wasn't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Hey, I've got a kid at A&M. Sorry, guys. Texas A&M, whoop, and uh, out, in, out in Arizona. So I'm sorry I don't keep up with stuff. I should be, I should be flat to that. Oh, that's all right. Um, and, and, and it's, you know, and the, the argument is, you know, what if, especially the young man grew up, you know, in the country, he grew up around guns. Uh, there should be no reason why they should not be able to carry. They, they're able to handle the gun. And plus, it's your right. Now, now, is he saying, I want to make sure that I understand this correctly. Sure. So I'm going to repeat it. You said that he told them not only can they not carry, but they cannot own a gun? No weapons at all. Now, that's, that's, uh, that's absurd, and I wish somebody would call him on it. Right. So, yeah, we're working on that. So we're working on maybe getting him to refine that statement, clarify it, clear it up, uh, water it down or do something. Because, yeah, definitely need to discuss that because this is Texas. You know, you may have come from some other state or something like that, but this is Texas. And this is all about personal protection. This is all about uh, a lot of things, not necessarily about hunting. But, yeah, definitely. No, that's exactly right. It's not about hunting. You know, and that's something that, that I guess a lot of people don't get until they have been in that situation. It's not about hunting. And I want to make it very clear, as I have many times, having a gun is not a guarantee. You know, if I'm sitting in my office and uh, someone, uh, you know, in the office break room and, and some crazy guy comes in and shoots the woman, his estranged wife, who happens to be sitting next to me, and then shoots me, and then, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to protect myself. I mean, there's there's way too much of an element of surprise. That's too quick of a thing. Um, it's not a guarantee. But would it prevent somebody from having that high body bag count, you know, the 10, the 12, the 15, the 20? Yes. Because now where I work, for instance, people are allowed to carry guns. So, yeah, he might get me. But the fourth guy in line is going to be ready for him. Hmm. Now, Susanna, tell us where can we find your book, From Lubies to the Legislature, One Woman's Fight Against Gun Control. Amazon. And it's cheap on Amazon. 
Yes, it is, because I actually bought a copy on Amazon. Yeah, you can get it it cheap. And by the way, for anybody thinking about it, writing a book is not a good way to make money. (laughs) Why do you say that? I get about 75 cents a copy. So don't don't say that I'm really out there hawking that book to make money, okay? <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, yeah, but the book book sales stuff and we've sold we've sold thousands and thousands and thousands of books. Um, enough to be uh have bestseller status if you sell it through certain avenues. Um but it's a it's yeah, it's not a way to make money. But what it has done is allowed me to put it out there my what I believe is the correct story, because I've read some stuff on the Internet that's not right. I mean, they even have quotes from me that I know darn well are not my quotes. So at least now it's out there in the way that I remember it, and and it has information the way I believe it. And so if I croak tomorrow, hopefully my grandchildren will know what I believe and why. I tell you, we'll have to do an event here in Austin where we can get you to come down and do a book signing, um, and we'll have to set that up sometime for sure. I love doing book signings. I was just up in Washington State in a little town called Chehalis, and I didn't get to see much of Washington because I flew in and it was dark and rainy. I know that's a shock. I flew into Portland, Oregon, dark and rainy, uh, and uh, drove up to Chehalis and did an event there, and it was awesome. And I love meeting people that are interested in this sort of thing. And like I said, particularly the ones that bring their their young, mushy-minded kids and their uh, girlfriends and their wives and that sort of thing. I hate to pick on the women, but it, <laughs> but it is usually the women that you know we don't you know we don't want to beat up on Dandy. So <laughs> I love having those there. All right, and now. I actually, uh, after this last debate, the presidential debate, I actually went to the college Republicans at the University of Texas to speak to the college Republicans, and they were actually down in the dumps. They were really depressed, you know, uh, about their candidate, you know, uh, our Republican candidate. So what would you have to say to them, kind of pick up their spirits about, you know, this election cycle and and what really uh, I want you to give them, you know, some words of advice on, on where to go from here. Oh, wow. You really put me on the spot with this. Yes, ma'am. You know, honestly, this is a tough one. Um, to, to be brutally honest, if if the Libertarian candidate were running a halfway decent race, this would be one time that a third-party candidate could win it in a landslide. Unfortunately, he's not. Um, Donald Trump, concerns me, and uh, again, I'm I'm being brutally honest. Having said that, Hillary is a known evil. She is a known evil. So I will easily take my chances with Donald Trump, who, God love him, is at least a businessman. He at least gets how America is supposed to work. He gets that. And he may not have all all of the, uh, he may not have his ideology fine-tuned, but he has been there. He's been out in the workforce. He has hired people, and that's something that, um, frankly, Hillary's never run that kind of a business. Uh, she's, she's a to me, a very frightening person. We know she's, a, she's an evil entity, quite frankly. I know you have mentioned the Supreme Court 
justices that, you know, possibly as many as three that the next president will be putting in um, or, or uh, nominating. Um, that is, again, like I said before, you know, that Heller decision, that was only won by one vote. So that that's probably the number one reason why I'm going to get up and I'm going to go vote for Donald Trump. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Susanna Graciel Hupp, the author from Lubies to the Legislature, One Woman's Fight Against Gun Control. Susanna is who I consider the mother of the Texas Concealed Handgun License Program. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Coley on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. So we're back talking with Joe Martinez running for Travis County Sheriff. And also we're talking with uh, Maura Fellon running for Travis County D.A., our Republican candidates here. So definitely get out and vote. Uh, But we have a couple questions before we end the show today. Let me uh, pass it over to my co-host. Yes, I've got a question for it was it was. Fallon or Fallon? Fallon. I, I know we Fallon. all just, yeah, we all, we're, we're, we're all failing, we're all, we're all failing at saying your name today. <laughs> as long as you can spell it and find it on the ballot, that's all that matters. P-H-E-L-A-N. It'll have the R next to it though, right? It's a municipality race. Did they even, did they even No, it's not, it's countywide and so it will have an R next to it and I'll be, I get top billing this time, so. Don't be a felon and vote for Fallon. That's right. You will remember that now when you go to the polls. I have a question for you uh, regarding just clogs in the system. And I'll I'll give you an example here. You know, uh, one of my friends was actually pulled over. He's not old enough to get a CHL. He was pulled over and he was carrying a handgun, which he's legally allowed to possess. He bought it legally. Um, So he's, you know, he's not a felon. He wasn't breaking any other laws. I guess he was speeding one night, got pulled over by, by an officer. And the the firearm was visible, which obviously in the state of Texas is is illegal, which I understand. But we now now that we, now that we have open carry, um, in the in the state, and we you know you're you're allowed to carry a firearm in your car, it just can't be visible. Which I you know if you ask me, I think it's a ridiculous law. But that's not what I'm disputing. What I'm saying is, he went to court and fought this uh, in court, got the case dismissed, got his firearm back. And it just seems to me like that that something like this could have been solved without him, you know, having to spend four thousand dollars on attorney plus whatever state fees he paid and stuff like that. So, what, like particular cases like this, this is just one example. I'm sure there's millions of them for for wasteful spending and waste, you know, people wasting time in the and at the county level. Uh, what could you do to help improve things like that? Well, what I want to institute is 24-7 intake attorneys. Right now, we don't have any attorneys reviewing the arrest um, affidavits and, and the arrests that are made to determine that we, one, have the right guy, two, have legally uh, admissible evidence to keep the right guy in jail or prove that he's the right guy, um, and also the sufficiency of the cases that are being put together against them. Um, we're asking our police officers to make calls on all of that, and they're not lawyers. Um, and that needs to be done at the intake level. This will kick out the ones that need to be kicked out that because we don't have enough against them. We'll also communicate with the officers and teach them what they need to make a probable cause affidavit 
um, sufficient what it takes to make a, a good arrest and a, and a good case because the law is changing all the time. Uh, it's hard for lawyers to keep up with, much less us asking the cops to do it as well. We'll also um, allow the DA's office to have somebody ready um, for bond hearings so that the guys who are not a threat to the community, such as your friend who got arrested that night and put in jail... It can and, get immediately and to put it in perspective. Good. I mean, he 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 didn't have any uh, any past history. Mm-hmm. This could have made him a criminal for no reason. Exactly. You know what I'm saying like I, that's why why I hope that when if you get elected as DA, you look at these cases and think to yourself, do I want to make this person a criminal? Well, exactly. We have so many people who are being held in our jail who have no criminal history. Um, many of whom have have jobs and families that they need to be out and supporting, and instead we're keeping them in jail. The average stay in our county jail is is six to seven months, and that's the first time things are being looked at by an attorney. That needs to happen at the beginning, so that this so that we can cut down on our costs in our jail by having fewer people in our jail and by diverting those persons who have mental health issues, which is about 30% of our jail makeup right now, immediately to the mental health um, part of the system. And then let me ask uh, Joe Martinez, running for sheriff, uh, what personally, how do you feel about or what do you think was a reasoning behind Uber and Lyft leaving uh, Austin? Well, in just my personal opinion, I think that the uh, the DWIs are attached to the highway bill that is funded by Washington. When the DWIs arrests start going down, well, I guess you, you can almost figure out what's going to happen. So when Uber was in town, DWI arrests were going down, and Uber and Lyft were doing a great job. I think that people need to have a choice. People need to have a choice in whatever ride you want, whatever Whatever you want. We're, you, you we're American the, citizens. You don't think the government should be able to choose what car we get in? No, no, and no. Not even what light bulb you need to use. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> but I, I think that because the arrests were going down, um, they looked at this Uber and, and you left, and they said, well, we need to get them back out of town. So now you don't have that service. Now you have uh, the possibility of DWI arrests going up and the funding coming back. Wow. I tell you, I want to thank... Um uh, Joe Martinez, who's running for Travis County Sheriff, for coming on the show today. I also want to thank uh, Maura Fallon for coming on the show today, running for Travis County DA. And remember, it's Maura, and it's Fallon. <laughs> Phelan. Phelan. P Don't, as in Peter, H-E-L-A-N. I'm telling Phelan. you now, do not be a felon. <laughs> And vote for failing. There you go. <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I'm going to get it. I swear I'm going to get it. I tell you, definitely get out there and vote. You know, make sure you show up. Early voter voting starts uh, tomorrow. So please get out there and go vote. Vote early. Vote. As always, more guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.